Hi, my name's Rob Wolf, and I'm Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with West Huddleston, who is the Executive Director of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Thanks, Robert, for the opportunity. I thought maybe we'd start off talking about the new website for the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Uh, the address is www.allrise.org. That's right, allrise.org. What's the thinking behind the name and behind the, the new look for the website? Well, the short story is, although I've worked here at NADCP for the last 11 years, um, I've never, uh, up until three years ago when I took the helm as a CEO, I was really not put in a position to sell drug courts to the general public. When I became CEO three years ago, I realized that, that that's a tough thing to do, um, that those two words, drug court, or even if you put treatment in the middle, drug treatment court, it still sells a problem. It doesn't sell a solution. And it basically creates a, a whole lot of questions. So what I, uh, what I, what I sought out to do is to find a, a public brand, if you will. If, if, if our industry brand is drug court, you know, what would be a brand for the general public that would sell the solution? And it struck me about a year ago that the two words all rise really do that for us. I was sitting at a drug court graduation one night in Jackson, Mississippi, and as the bailiff uh, bellowed out those two words, it struck me that those that, that all rise really carries with it an implicit and solemn promise that, that drug courts will help those that come before it. You've always been an advocacy organization to some extent, but are you putting advocacy and sort of promotion of the drug court concept uh, more front and center in, in, than in the past? Yeah, Rob, you're hitting it right on the head. You know, we're 20 years old. Drug courts are 20 years old, and the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, which started in 1994, did exactly what its name implies, which was to focus on professionals, focus on the courts, change the system from within. What I, what I wanted to do when I became CEO is, in addition to that, which we will always do as a, as a primary function of NADCP, but in addition to that, I, you know, it's my belief that um, drug courts are uh, deeply underutilized, are the most effective strategy for drug using offenders, and need to be put within reach of every American in need. And so if, if we're only serving 120,000 at any given time and there are 1.2 million who need it, we need to tell our story to the general public. We need to tell our story to the media. We need to tell our story better on Capitol Hill and in state Capitol buildings. Before we continue, I guess I'm taking it for granted that people listening uh, know what a drug court is, but maybe in the, in the in simplest terms, could you just explain what the, what the typical drug court model is? Sure. In essence, someone who is charged with a drug-driven offense, that could be anything from drug possession to burglary, theft, uh, even drunk driving, those types of those types of charges can be pled into a into a drug court. And um, in essence, um, our objective is to get people into treatment quickly and to keep them there long enough for treatment to actually benefit them. We hold them accountable by requiring them to come before a judge 
on a, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis at first, and then it's titrated down to maybe monthly or quarterly, and the participants are rewarded for doing well and sanctioned for not living up to their obligations. Well, you know, with all the research that has shown how effective drug courts are in reducing recidivism, I wonder why you think drug courts have sort of hit a wall. I mean, they really grew very quickly, uh, expanded to many, to all states in the United States, and they're spreading internationally now. And yet, as you say, they're reaching only 10% of the potential population who could benefit, and their growth seems to have slowed. And I wonder what factors you think have played a role in that. I wonder if the current economic crisis is having an impact, if you think the Obama administration policies might have a positive impact down the road. What are your thoughts on this this issue? Well, I, I think that drug courts definitely stalled. And uh, it was kind of shocking to us in that as, as the research as you said, was um, coming out in, in, in clear fashion that they reduce substance abuse significantly, they reduce recidivism, and they save money. The funding for drug courts at the federal level went from 40, for instance, at the Department of Justice, 40 million, really all the way down to right at $10 million just three years ago. The, the economy, coupled with the federal investment, dropping um, really hurt drug court's ability to take on more clients, take on more participants. So what do we look like in the future? Drug court funding started to pick back up under the former administration, uh, and, and certainly because of Congress. And funding last year was restored at the federal level, went from about $10 million to uh, $15.3 million two years ago, then it was increased to $40 million last year, and this year, where, where we stand this afternoon, drug court, drug court funding at the, at the Department of Justice sits at $64 million, which is an historical high. And there, there's another uh, roughly $24 million at the Center for Substance Abuse Treatment at SAMHSA. In the president's budget for next year, uh, it even looks better. The president requested a total of about $120 million for drug courts and other problem-solving courts at the Department of Justice and at CSAT. I think that the new administration and the Congress in place recognizes that these courts return a significant cost-benefit, and by investing up front, we're going to see you know, some significant return anywhere from $3.36 to $12, depending on what variables you count for every dollar invested. So, yeah, I, I think the future looks very good for, uh, for drug courts and, and other problem-solving courts like, like mental health courts and domestic violence courts and, and all the other types of courts that you know, your, your own organization uh, uh, really helps us think through. I'm wondering about all the research that's gone into drug courts, and we do some of that here, and we also research other problem-solving courts. And one thing some of our researchers are trying to do are isolate some of the factors. Is it the role of the judge and the interaction the judge has with the defendant that is, is one of the key ingredients? Is it the monitoring? Is it the kind of treatment? And sort of trying to, to hone the model and find out 
what are the key elements. And I wonder, as, they, as, as elements are identified as being paramount or, or the most effective, I wonder if the money that's coming in can be spent in such a way to, to sort of invest strategically in those things that work best. Well, um, you, you know, th- uh, we think a little bit differently about it. Um, there, there was a, uh, a remarkable report uh, published March of last year by NPC Research out of Portland, Oregon. So that's Mike Finnegan and Dr. Mike Finnegan and Dr. Shannon Carey. Um, this report explored the 10 key components of drug courts, which were written um, and published in 1997. And it, it is what defines a drug court from, from, from any other court, distinguishes our model. And it's a comparative study of 18 drug courts on, on you know, practices, outcomes, and costs. And what that study tells us is that um, the 10 key components, the, the, the courts that follow the 10 key components do far better in terms of outcomes and costs than the drug courts that don't. And so what this study has taught us and what we're in turn teaching the field is that you can't water down the 10 key components. If you do, you will start significantly losing your, your impact. But are they saying that all of the components are equal, though? I mean, if someone has a limited resources and they want to do eight of the components, perhaps, are you saying that they shouldn't think that way? They should. That's right. If you want good, if if you want extraordinary outcomes, maintain the ten key components of drug court. Um, I I am not convinced that you can select, um, you know, drug testing, regular drug testing, and. Uh, and tr- and treatment, which are two two of the ten can take the two of the ten key components. I'm not convinced you can take those two key components, instill them or or import them into everyday court practice, and expect to have very good outcomes. What drug courts need to do is reorient themselves from low level offenders to to a high risk, high need population, meaning people with long histories of substance abuse long histories of criminality, people who really need this level of intervention because it's very intensive. So, you know, I think our best outcomes, according to NIDA's research um, that uh, uh, Dr. Doug Marlowe published, um, you know, really looked at who fares best in drug court. And the clear answer to that are the individuals who, who need it the most, high-risk, high-need people, people who have failed out of treatment multiple times, people who have a long, you know, criminal record. Um, those are the folks that do the best in our in our model. And are are a lot of drug courts avoiding that population for for whatever reason? Well, they certainly did at the beginning. I mean, it's you know, it's much more politically pal- palatable to take low low level offenders, low risk offenders. You know, um, first time um, possession charges. That's where drug court started 20 years ago. So, I mean, it's an interesting irony, I guess, that the population that initially seemed most attractive politically, the drug courts are least effective with. Yeah, I mean, um, that is a 100% accurate statement, according to the literature, according to the research. You know, I think the good news is 
uh, drug court professionals are in are in that business to make a difference. And when they uh, were introduced to this research, I believe it was about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, um, we really saw a shift in in population, um, in, you know, in drug court population, target population. The, I think the tough road is still ahead of us because assessment for risk and need is not done before disposition typically. Typically, disposition, the court decides on what happens to the offender and then the assessment kicks in. Well, it's, it's too late. You, you really don't know who you have standing in front of you. If we're really going to have what, what we know as evidence-based sentencing, we've got to do assessment up front at pretrial level um, before, before the court decides, before the prosecutor decides where the individual goes. So you're saying that... Very that, radical. That's a very radical change. But you're saying right now the problem is that quite often they're saying you'll get a year of treatment, okay, and this is the jail alternative if you don't complete it. Okay, agreed. Now let's assess you and see if you really need a year or not. That's exactly what happens. It, it happens as a result of, you know, plea bargain. And, and it, it happens because... The justice system tends to create eligibility criteria, not just for drug court, but you know, for DTAP or I mean, for pick, pick you know, pick your alternative. You're talking about other you know, alternative sentencing programs for drug other treatment. Other alternative sentencing, even even probation. Okay, the eligibility is based on the crime, not on the person. So assessment is thought of as. Uh, uh, kind of what are their clinical needs after we figure out legally where they belong, and um, I, you know, we're, we're really we're really wanting to see uh, the, the justice system do it almost opposite of that. That individuals need to be assessed for what they need and what is their risk. You know, then make an appropriate decision on um, where they go. That sounds like that'll be awfully hard to. Um to bring out a, bring around a change around that you know I it, I it will be it will be tough but you know we've added a million prison beds in this country in the last 20 years I mean it, it doesn't make sense what we're doing now so I mean we're I think we're at a real tipping point um, if if not now when, when will this tipping point occur you know where where there really does need to be some radical change in terms of who really does need to go to prison and jail versus who needs to go to a community alternative and which community alternative. I appreciate your taking the time to, uh, to share your thoughts with me. I've been speaking with West Huddleston, the CEO of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, which can be found now on the web at www.allrise.org. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Good luck with your work. Very good. Thanks so much. I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation, which can be found on the web at www.courtinnovation.org.